Good morning and welcome to Carolina Family Church. For those of you that may not have been in here earlier, my name is John and uh, I'm the pastor here. And we're in a series called This Is Family. And uh, on that video, you saw that line, welcome home. And I really want you to know we mean that. I was actually kind of stunned. I feel like the, the entire NCAA basketball tournament stole our line. Have you seen this? Like every, game, every team in their warm-ups, all their warm-ups say family on the chest. I was like, we had that first. You guys stole that. You all stole that. I'm not bringing that up to point out that I won my bracket in my league. I'm not saying that. I'm just, <laughs> it was pure luck. It absolutely was. I picked based on the uniforms, but it works for me. So, uh, so we say this is family around here. We really mean that. It's important for us to understand and learn The church is more than an organization, and it's more than an event. Even though we tend to think of it that way in our current Christian culture, it is supposed to be a body. The church is supposed to be a family. And so we're talking throughout this series about what that looks like here at Carolina Family Church. And I want to talk, I feel like this is an appropriate week to talk about it now because you guys just cut loose during the music. Let me just say, I haven't seen that much energy and that much response in our worship in a very long time, and I want to thank you for being willing to do that today. And it's a perfect day to do it because today I want to talk about when we get together for worship, what we're supposed to do, what that's supposed to look like. You know, we call this, as many other churches do, we call this a service. And one way of thinking about that is to think that when I come to the service, I'm coming to be served, and I probably will. But I would argue that that is not the right mentality to approach this gathering that we have every single week with. That there's a better way to walk in the doors of this gathering that is going to create a lot more excitement and joy and passion in you than walking in looking for how you're going to be served by other people. And so I want to ask this question, and we'll come back around to this, but I want to ask this question. We just spent about 25, 27 minutes almost exactly singing taking communion, praying, talking, announcing, doing all of that. And I want to ask you a question. Over the last 27 minutes, what were you doing? What were you personally, what were you doing during that time? When I say worship, what does that word mean to you? What does it mean for you to worship? To see an example of this, we're going to go to what is my favorite example of worship in the entire Bible. It is found in the book of 2 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open to 2 Samuel, uh, if you bring a print Bible, that's awesome. I hope there's enough light in the room for you to read. Uh, We try to give just enough, but like if your eyes are failing like mine, maybe you can't. But uh, we give you some light so you can read in the room. You can bring it up on your phone too. And actually, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can click on events and you can find this service. It'll have all the scripture and the points and places you can take notes right on your phone and save all of that there. Um, and if you don't have either one of those things, we will have it on the screen for you as well. But we're going to read about a guy named David. He'd probably be very familiar to many people in the room. Uh, at least you probably know the story of David and Goliath. All right, so you maybe you walked in today and you don't know the first thing about the Bible. You don't know the first thing about church. Hey, I'm glad you're here. I know it took a lot of bravery for you to walk in the door. Uh, and I'm glad that you're here. And you, I'm sure you at least know David and Goliath, right? So that's a good starting point. We got King David, and he is uh, in, he's just come into power. He's conquering lands and nations and cities, and they've just recently overtaken the city of Jerusalem, which is often called the city of David, you know. So David overtakes Jerusalem, and they have this thing that's very important to them that God established called the Ark of the Covenant. 
And now, again, if you're not familiar with the Bible much, you're probably still familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. You've ever heard of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> That's what they're looking for, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, fighting with it. They were fighting with Nazis, right? Trying to get to it first. Yeah. And he got to it, thank goodness, you know. So, but anyway, so the Ark of the Covenant, the Jews were given the Ark of the Covenant, and it symbolized and even housed the very presence of God. And there were various things inside of the ark. It was a big box that was very ornate, but a big box. And there were many things inside of the ark. And they had these two big angels up on top of the ark with its wings reaching out and almost touching the tips. And God had told them that, that this box, this, this ark was so holy, it symbolized the promise that God had given to the nation of Israel. It was so holy that nobody could even touch it. Because if you touched it, you would die instantly. And so David is excited right now because they've overtaken the city of Jerusalem. It's going to be their capital city. And he's ready to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. This is a big moment, a big moment for them. And so we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Okay, chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. says, and they brought it out. That's the Ark. It is the Ark. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the Ark of God, and Ohio, not Ohio, Ohio, Jeremy, Ohio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel, look what they did. When the ark was coming in, look what they did. Look how they prepared for this big, huge, momentous event. The house of Israel played music before the Lord. Yeah, I like it too. They played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, on uh, firwood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, on cymbals. I love this. They're getting ready for this big, huge moment. And what do they do? They get the band back together. <laughs> bring your guitar, bring your drums, right? Somebody, the cist, you wonder, what, what, is the, what is the sistrum? It was like this, this metal piece that had metal pieces going through it. And you would bang it back and forth and it would clang, almost like a, almost like a cowbell. Right? So, yeah. So, you know, they're, they're coming into Jerusalem and they're playing their music and everyone's like, more sistrum! It needs more sistrum! It's the original. Eat your heart out, Will Ferrell. Right? They started it. They got a band together to worship and to celebrate. And it's awesome. And then in verse, we're going to jump forward to verse 14. I got to tell you what happens in between here. We're skipping over it just because it doesn't pertain necessarily. Uh, a guy accidentally tripped and fell and touched the Ark of the Covenant, and he died when he did that. God told him that would happen. And, um, and so David wasn't too happy that that had happened, so he left the Ark in another place for a little while because he didn't think it was safe. But when he saw the people who had the Ark at their house flourished, he was like, okay, let's bring it in. So he goes back to get the Ark and bring it the rest of the way in. So he got juked a little bit there. But in verse 14... It says they're, they're finally bringing it in again. In verse 14, it said, then David danced. What? Listen, I love the church that I grew up in, but we were not allowed to dance. That was not a thing. No, no, no. You couldn't, you couldn't do that. All right. If you, would, if you were really sneaky, if you're really sneaky and the, and the groove got going in the hymn, you could sneak your foot up under the seat in front of you and kind of tap your toe. That's about all you could get away with. You know, my, my, my dad, uh, he was a pastor in the same church for 36 years, and it's a great church, a fantastic church, but you didn't dance. And um, the first time he ever danced, all right, in his entire life, publicly, publicly, <laughs> was at my sister's wedding. It was, it was a big deal. But I read this scripture, and I'm like, David was just like, let's, we're getting footloose. So it's about to happen here. Yeah, that's right, Jess. You're singing the song in your head now, doing the motions internally. 
He danced before, look at this. He danced before the Lord with all his might. And I was reading that this week, I thought, what does that look like? All I can picture, you, know, you ever seen that old episode of Seinfeld with Elaine? Doing her day, you know, that's what I picture. She's just like, yeah, like with all of your might. Like uh, one of my, one of, I actually have a pretty good reference point on this. One of my favorite, oh, a show that my wife watches is World of Dance. And sometimes I'm in the room and I look at the screen while it's on, but I don't watch it. It's just I'm in the room. No, because I would miss something. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I love the show. I love World of Dance. It's a fantastic show. And, and you can see this because when you, watch, when you watch a dance performance, it's almost like any musician or anybody, when their heart is in it, you can tell. You know what I mean? Like when it's their dance and not somebody else's dance. And it's funny, the judges even pick up on it often. Uh, they'll look at the contestants and be like, you choreographed that yourself, didn't you? They could tell. They could tell, and you can tell when they're putting their entire body into it, their entire emotion into it. They're putting their, bo- their entire soul into it. In fact, sometimes they get done with like a two-minute dance, and they're completely exhausted, which, I mean, makes sense. I'd be exhausted after like a 10-second. I'm exhausted after that dance I just did, honestly. But you can tell that they have put their entire life in their entire soul, and that's what David was doing. He was just, later you're going to see the, the terms jumping and whirling, that he was jumping and whirling, leaping around, some sort of like contemporary crunking that was happening as he was dancing. But he's dancing with all of his might. I just like, I love picturing this stuff. It's fun. And to see the sort of reckless abandon with which he was carrying himself. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, that was a garment that a priest would wear. It is not what a king would wear king is supposed to wear his robes and his purple, but this is a linen. It's humble. It's what a priest would wear in their act of service. So, so David humbles himself, dances all over the place. They're playing music. It's an unbelievable scene, and he's doing all of it because of the joy he has for the ark entering the city. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting. So some of you can't sing. That's fine. They bring it up with shouting brought it up with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. You know, music is, uh, music and dancing, they are, um, they're art. David is doing art here. And art is a form of expression. It's a way we express ourselves through, through body movement or through vocal movement or through instrumentation or through paint or sculpture or other things that it may be. Art is a way of expressing ourselves. And that's what worship is. Worship is art. Worship is an expression of what we believe and how we feel. And sometimes that's very positive and very energetic. And sometimes it's very somber and subdued. But worship is an honest, true expression of what's inside of us. I see this a lot in music. It's something that I notice. In fact, it's, it's where if you come into our church and you walk through the front hallway, you'll see some banners, and those are our core values. The very first one is the word honest. I get this word from my, uh, my experience with music. I'm a musician, and I love good music. And you can watch a person sing a song, and you can tell whether it's honest or not. You can tell whether it's their song or someone else's. You can tell whether they believe it or not. You can tell whether they've lived it or they haven't. It's written all over their face. It's in the inflection of their voice. It's in the way that they respond to lyrics in the song. Worship is much the same way. 
honest worship comes from within. It's not just repeating something that someone else says. It is, it is echoing the very words and the attitudes of our heart. It's honest expression. And when we come to God and we're, we're thinking about how we're worshiping God, we should feel completely free to worship him in a way that's honest. So I want to ask you, I asked you, you know, a little while ago, what were you doing over the last 27 minutes? Let me ask if you felt free to be honest about how you feel during that time, or whether you felt restricted, whether you felt capped. And if you felt capped, if you felt restricted, if you felt disconnected from what was going on, ask the question, why? Was I concerned about what other people around me might think of me? Like they might judge me if I moved around or if I raised my hands or if I, they might judge my voice if I sing out. Were you, were you self-conscious or did you feel free? Now David, when the, when the ark was coming in, he was thankful that the, the presence of God was coming into the city in the form of the ark. When we get together to worship, we worship because we are thankful that the presence of God has come into our life through Jesus Christ. So it's different, but it's the same. We're thankful that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so that we can, just by faith in Jesus Christ, we can be in right standing with God, that God displayed his power by raising Jesus on the third day. And when we look at that, we know if he can raise Jesus, he can raise us too. And so in confidence and appreciation, we come and we bring our worship to him. And I want to ask if you felt free to express that the way that you really feel it. I remember growing up, I told you, I grew up in a very uh, conservative church environment. And like I said, it's fantastic. I wouldn't take a single thing away from the church I grew up in. There, there, in a lot of ways, a lot of things we do around here are modeled after that church. And, uh, but I know I grew up, and this is not someone told me to do. This is not something someone told me to do. It's not someone that was modeled for me or explained to me. But for me, growing up, I found myself very judgmental of people who were expressive in worship. Because I grew up in an environment where we didn't do that. And so when someone would come into our church or we would go to some sort of environment or event and someone would raise their hands during worship, all I could think was, the only reason they're doing that is because they're trying to draw attention to themselves. That's what I thought. Now, that's not what they were thinking, I don't think. It's what I was thinking. I was taking my own mentality about it and transferring that onto them, which I should not have been doing. But I always restricted myself. I always held myself back. And I always felt like there was something more for me to do in worship. I just didn't feel free to do it. It's, it's a very common thing for people who are expressive in their worship to be judged for that. It happened to David. Do you know that? When he was, when he was dancing around the ark and doing all these songs, there was somebody who was very unhappy about it. Uh, in fact, it was his wife. Who's not none too pleased. All right, verse... In verse 16, it says that now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, that's Saul's daughter, it's also David's wife, by the way, um, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling. There's the terminology. She saw him leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Why? You know, that seems pretty cold, doesn't it? Because this seems like an amazing thing David's doing. But I realized as I was reading the scripture, in the past, I've done the same thing. I've seen people be expressive in their worship, and I've judged them, despised them in my heart, because I thought what they were doing was contrived or, or for selfish gain. And I didn't feel free to do it, so it's kind of an envy thing in a way. 
But this all changed. This mentality changed for me um, many years ago. And I was up in um, Rochester, New York. That's where I'm from. And I was up in Rochester, New York visiting. And my brother told me that there was a concert in, in the city. Uh, and it turned out to be my favorite, one of my favorite band at the time, Thousand Foot Crutch. And they were doing, a, uh, it was a hard rock band. They were doing a concert in the city, um, and it was in a small little club, and it was like 10 bucks to get in. I was like, yeah, let's go do this. So, so we went, and uh, the music was so loud, you really couldn't even make anything out, and the bass was just like destroying your chest. That's my kind of scene. That's what I really like. We tame it down for you on Sundays, but if I could choose, that's what would be happening. But, uh, but uh, so I'm in that environment, and, and Thousand Foot Crutch is a band that it's, it's made up of Christians, although not all of their music is explicitly like worship music or Christian music, and I don't like drawing all those lines anyway, but they, they, uh, they have a couple of songs that are obviously worship songs. And it was a really interesting thing that happened that night because we went to this club and most of the people that were there had no idea who this band was. It's just they went to this place on Friday night for whatever band was playing. And so you've got this band and they're playing and the music is awesome and and the environment is great. It's a tight little room. There's probably 150 to 200 people in the room. And so everybody's packed in together. Everybody's sweating. They've gone through the entire show. And all of a sudden they break down at the end of the show and they do one of their worship songs, Lift You Up, this is the name of the song. And it got real quiet. They brought the volume down. And this song was absolutely 100% about the glory of God and how we're supposed to lift him up in our lives. And 75% of the room looked really confused. But in that moment, I was so engaged with what was happening in the, in the room, the environment that was going on. I was so connected with the band because of my history with them and because of that moment that in the middle of the song, it's like I totally forgot about every other person that was around me. Almost like I zoned out or spaced out or went to a different place. And all of a sudden, I'm singing this song with all of my might. And I found myself standing in the middle of the room with both of my hands up in the air. And they finished the song. And I opened my eyes. And all of a sudden, I was like, what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> and it was in that moment I realized something. There was something about that environment. There was something about that song. There was something about that moment that finally set me free. That I was, that for my entire life I had been so self conscious about what everybody else thought of me that I hadn't been doing what God wanted me to do. And that was to, sometimes that's to tap my toe, even when someone could see it. You know, sometimes it's to clap, sometimes it's to, to sing along, sometimes it's to sit down when everybody else is standing, sometimes it's to, to bow my head and pray while everybody else has got their faces up, sometimes it's to raise my hand. But to be responsive and obedient to whatever it is God wants me to do. And in that moment, I realized, why can't I do this every time? And so that opened me up to a whole new experience of worship, a freedom in worship. So his wife's got this problem with him. And we're going to jump forward a little bit and then come back. But we're going to jump forward to verse 20. David does his thing with the people, which we're going to read about in a minute. But he, he, then David, in verse 20, returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. All right, obviously she's not happy about what's been going on. And said, by the way, there's sarcasm in the Bible. Just so you know, that's what we're about to see. She says, oh, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Oh, weren't you pretty out there? Dance. That was a little Irish, wasn't it? Oh, weren't you pretty out there? Like dancing around and shamelessly debased is what she says. She said, what is wrong with you? Why would you conduct yourself in that way? She thinks, now, 
She's a very, very proud woman, it seems. She's the daughter of Saul, the previous king. And so she's got a problem with the king humbling himself that way, putting on priestly garments instead of his robes, dancing around, which men weren't supposed to do in that culture, singing and acting a fool in her eyes. And so David says to her, hey, this is one of the best lines in the whole Bible, all right? (laughs) David says to her, it was before the Lord. She says, look how you looked in front of all those maidservants who are judging you now. He said, no, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father. No little dig there, by the way. Just want to point this out. In in a way, I feel like in a way she's saying, hey, you're not acting very king-like. You're not acting very much like Saul. And one of the things that we consistently are supposed to see throughout the Old Testament is we are supposed to contrast King David with King Saul. And see that King David is the kind of king that God wants and King Saul is not. King Saul got put in place because he was, he was tall, dark, and handsome. Because he was a great warrior. Because people looked at him and he looked like the kind of king that people wanted. And David was small and ruddy and handsome. He was a cute little guy. All right, he was, had reddish cheeks and he was kind of, he just, he was adorable. And, and God wants us to see that he is interested in the person who loves him and serves him faithfully, not the person who meets everybody's expectations. And so right here, she's saying, how dare you go out and treat your, or behave that way? You know, it's not very king-like. And he says, no, 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 it was the Lord, it was before the Lord, who chose me instead of your father over all, and all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. You, you're not going to shut me up. We're going to 11. You can't take this down to zero. Okay? I will play music before the Lord. And I will... <laughs> here it is. You ready? And I will be even more undignified than this. You think I've been bad so far? You ain't seen nothing yet? It's going to get worse. I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. That's the line. I will not be self-conscious when it comes to worship. I will not be focused on me when it comes to worship. And, And whatever freedom that sends me out in and whatever it causes me to dance or to sing or whatever it causes me to do, I'm gonna go do that because God chose me and I'm doing it for him. And, by the way, but as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken, you know, the ones you think that, 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 that they think I'm going to, you know, they, they think, you think they're judging me negatively. But as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken, by them I will be held in honor. See, the only reason you think that they're judging me negatively is because you're judging me negatively. It's because it's the attitude of your heart. And their hearts are pure. And when they saw me dancing and when they saw me singing and when they saw me playing, they knew it was before the Lord. So don't worry about someone who might judge you negatively because of the way that you worship. That's their issue. But the true believers, the people who genuinely want to follow God, people who want to honor God with their life, they're going to look at you and have respect for you and say, man, I want that kind of freedom. I want to have that kind of freedom to worship God that way. And you might just be a catalyst for setting them off. David said, I am completely unconcerned with anyone that would judge me negatively for my worship. It's not for them, it's for God. I want to toss something in here. I I wrote it down. I just feel like it's important to say, particularly to the guys in the room. I think it's extra hard for guys because we want to be manly or whatever. 
Uh, it's extra hard for us to express ourselves. We don't think that's very manly. Uh, let me tell you, that's garbage. It's garbage. The, I was reading an amazing thing this week, um, the commentary by Matthew Henry. On, uh, he's a commentator that, on, on this passage. And he talked to this great section. I put it on Instagram if you want to go look at the full thing. But um, he said, after leading the people in worship, David returns home to lead his family in worship. Which, which we all need to do. I mean, we get together corporately for church, and we can put on a show here if we want to, but we've got to go home and live it honestly there too. And so he goes home, and, and he lives it honestly at home, and, uh, and he has to deal with, with his, with his um, spouse, with his wife over that. But David's like, I, I'm, I'm not going to let people's expectations keep me from doing what God wants me to do. And the, the last line in this section that Matthew Henry writes, this is awesome. Listen to this carefully. I, lo- I love this. He said, it is angels work to worship God. And therefore, surely that can be no disparagement to the greatest of men. If this is what angels do, and by the way, angels are incredibly powerful. Anytime you see an angel show up in scripture, people like fall dead in fear. That's because angels are scary. They're not little babies with wings. That's not how they work. Angels are incredibly powerful and incredibly scary, and their job is to worship God, among other things. And so if an angel worships God, there could be nothing unmanly or undignified about it for us. So it is one of the most powerful things we can do. It's one of the most expressive things that we can do. It's one of the most honest things that we can do. We just have to be willing to do it. Don't ever be ashamed to worship God in spirit and in truth. No matter what kind of fool that makes you have to be or seem to be. God is honored by authentic expression. Not by just, not like, because we could come in here and we could sing the words that are on the screen because that's what we're supposed to do and it can mean nothing to us. And that's not bringing honor to God. Bringing honor, honor to God happens when in authentic expression, when I'm expressing myself in a true way, in a way that's very me. So you don't, you know, you might see some people kind of dance, like in, when we're doing music, like dancing around and waving their hands. It doesn't mean you have to do that because that may not be you. David is a very artistic guy. He wrote a lot of the, the, the Psalms. He's a very poetic guy. He's, he's, you know, he's small, he's cute, he's ruddy, he's handsome, he plays musical instruments, you know. He's kind of a millennial, it seems. But he, he just, you know, he's, he's very artistic in that way. And so that's the way he expresses himself in worship, and that's fine. And you may not be. And so express yourself in an honest way, whatever that means for you, where you don't feel restricted, where you do feel free to be you in front of God. You know, as we just, we went through, uh, you know, a bunch of songs. We sang three songs here at the beginning of the service. I want to read you some of the lines and, and ask, you know, what were you thinking as you read these lines? This, this is powerful stuff. There are, there are times when, when I'm singing, and I've had learned this over the years. This has been a process for me. But, but there are times when I'm singing songs, and there's a line, and I just, I, I, like, I can't even get it out because it's so true for me. And I believe it so deeply. So sometimes I can't even get it out. It brings me to tears, as you saw. Sometimes that happens. And, uh, like, when I raise my hands, there's some people um, who choose, they want to raise their hands the whole time. They're singing, and it's, it's an expression of submission to God, like raising holding your hands up to him, saying, I'm yours, whatever you want. Some people worship that way. For me, I tend to raise my hands when there's a particular line in the song that I agree with or that's setting heavy on my heart. And I'm like, that, you know. There's sometimes where I feel like I'm almost pointing to the screen. <laughs> like, read that one. That's a good one. You know, that's the line right now. Um, 
Some of the things we sang earlier, we sang a song, Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So dance like the weight has been lifted. It's one of the lines of that song. I think David did that, right? Dance like the weight has been lifted. Come back to communion. Come back to the start. You know, stay in fellowship with the church or with God. We sang the song, Yes, I Will. It says, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Is that true? Sing for joy when my heart is heavy. Do you do that? Do you want to do that? You don't always have to sing things. And it's not that the, the, the line has to be true for you, but it can be aspirationally true for you at times, where it's like, I want that to be. It's not, but I want that to be my song. I want that to be my prayer. So that song says, I choose to praise, glorify. Worship is a choice. It's not an environment that overtakes you. It's a choice that you make. So I choose to praise, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. And then in the song, God, You're So Good, we sang, amazing love that welcomes me. The amazing love of God that welcomes me. The kindness of his mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul. Undeserving. When you sing that line, does it, is that coming from your heart? Not in your head, not just, not just our mouth. It said, I am healed, I am whole. I am saved in Jesus' name, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. It's all about his glory, not mine. And then the line, and, and should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me. That no matter what we face, we know that God has saved us through his son. And so when we sing songs like that, are you honestly responding and I want you to understand that when we get together in corporate worship like this, it's not just about me and, and, or you and our own personal experience of worship. Because we can worship all day, every day, if we so choose. But when we get together as a group, it's about us doing that together. And the power and the synergy that happens when the church, when the God's people gather together in unity of belief, in unity of mission, and say, we are going to declare, proclaim these things, as a group. There's power that happens there. And when we do that, we serve one another. There are obvious roles of serving that happen. Those that served communion today or the band who's playing um, and serving you in that way. But when you are free in your worship, you serve the people around you by setting them free. You, do, you don't have to have a microphone to be a worship leader in our church. You lead worship from right where you are. The volume of your voice and the honestness. Is that a word? That's not a word. The honesty, yeah, okay. The honesty of your own personal worship serves the people around you. So think about that. That's okay to think about. All right, so David, we're going we're gonna to back up just a little bit before he has his, you know, really hands it to Michelle there. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 17. Look, at he's, he's having his own sort of personal moment of worship where they're singing and doing the music and he's dancing around, leaping and whirling. And... Um, then in 17, it says, So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Again, this is very direct acts of worship. And this, 18, When David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. Sounds delicious. So all the people departed, everyone to his own house. 
So David understood that he not only had a personal responsibility to worship God in this moment, but that he had a corporate responsibility to worship together with them and to serve the people around him as an act of worship as well. Worship begins as an individual expression, but it becomes an act of community service. Worship is a personal expression for the benefit of the group. It's a personal expression for the benefit of the group when we're together like we are. And so here, I think we really see the heart of worship, what we really need to be focused on in thinking. And that's that honest worship is not focused on getting. It's focused on giving. Worship, the service that we do, is not about what you get out of it or what I get out of it. And I know we use those kinds of terms all the time. We'll say that often, like leave a service or something. You say, what'd you get out of it? What'd you get out of it? I got out of it this. Or sometimes we'll leave, sometimes we'll leave a worship gathering and be like, oh, I just didn't get anything out of it. And if that's our mentality, we walked in with the wrong mentality. Because what we're doing right here is not about what you or me are going to get out of this. It's about what you and me can put into this. That honest worship is offering back. It's offering to God, like David offers burnt offerings. It's offering to each other the way he offered them food that they needed, that, they, that helped them. That worship, honest worship, is about giving. So if you're, looking, if you're coming to church looking for what you can get out of it, I'm afraid you're often going to be disappointed. But if you come looking for what you can give, you will never be dissatisfied. And the irony is that when you come to a gathering like this of the church, thinking, what can I give? You always get something out of it. But when we come looking for what we're going to get, often we don't. Because when we come for worship, we're supposed to give. We're supposed to contribute. Now, that may mean just giving God our heart, our commitment. Say, today, God, I'm coming just to tell you that I'm yours. Or maybe you have a particular burden, you have a particular issue you're going through. And your act of worship is to come with the church and to give that to God and to stand in submission to him and say, whatever it is you want in my life, that's what I'm going to do. That's where I'm going to go. It may be to come and bring something to benefit everybody, to bring an offering, to bring uh, 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 serving on a team here. You know, we got people that show up every single, we got people that show up at 5.30 to set all this up, you know. That's an, that's an act of worship. They're coming to give. They're coming to give to serve you and to serve God. And so they show up at 5.30, the crack of dawn, and start rolling out carts and plugging in cables and doing all of that. The people that come and serve and, uh, and do an amazing job with your, some of your kids. And you're super happy about that, that you get a break from them for a little while. But more than that, they're in Carolina Kids, and they're learning biblical values. They're learning Bible stories. They're doing games and crafts and helping things to stick. And, and what is being offered there, the people that have come and said, I'm not here to get, I'm here to give, are serving in places like that and creating this awesome sense of unity. The band comes and does that. People who serve in production do that. People who serve in hospitality. So I'm gonna, I just want to back up, if we can. I asked you at the beginning of our, our time today, during the last 27 minutes when we got started, during the last 27 minutes, what were you doing? Let me rephrase that, bring it in a little bit. During our time of worship today, what were you giving? 
What were you giving? What were you giving back to God? What were you giving to each other? And in that giving, in that act of service that you were doing, was an honest expression of who you are and what you believe. I want to take a minute to, we're going to pray, but I want to take a minute to, to sing together and practice this. Okay? And a perfect, I think, song that's perfect for this, we've done it you know, many times here. It's called Song in My Soul. And this song is all about the honesty of what comes from the inside out when we sing. And a couple of the lines, just so that you're ready for them when we get there. There's a song in my soul, and I feel it rising in me. It's that that well that comes up. This I know for sure. And if you, if you believe this for sure, sing it with all of your might when we get there. This I know for sure, that your love is like a flood and your mercy never ending. This I know for sure, another statement, that your grace is enough and your promise never breaking. And another statement, this I know for sure, that I will look upon your face forever, dwell in your presence. And then when we get to the bridge, let my life be to you a symphony, singing out holy, holy. An opportunity to give something back to God through our songs. An opportunity to express ourselves in honesty because how incredible he is and what he's done for us. So let's go to him in prayer as we prepare our hearts and minds to sing. God, I come to you and just want to express our thanks together. And we worship you on our own all the time. This is a special time when we get to, to gather and together with one voice and with one heart say to you, God, that we love you, that we believe in you, that we believe you sent your son to die on the cross for us and to rise again. There might be someone who says, I believe that for the first time today. Today's the first time I'm saying that, I believe. And God, you forgive them of your sins, you save them. And God, as we, as we sing together about your goodness and about your power and about your mercy, about all these things we believe, as we lift them up with one voice together, I pray that it would be to you a beautiful offering. Nobody in the room trying to get any glory for themselves. Nobody trying to draw any attention to themselves. But for each of us to point each other to you, that's what this is about. So help our hearts to focus there, to be true, and God, as we sing, may this be an authentic, honest expression of our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.